morning, we're going to start off with a little short introduction to Advent before we move into some pretty challenging apocalyptic literature dealing with the second coming of Jesus. Doesn't that sound... People are always surprised by the second coming being in Advent, but I promise you, it's there. Even in difficult times, Jesus is going to invite us to keep our heads up so that we have a better view of our redemption that's drawing near in Jesus. So I want to begin today a little bit differently. We're going to look at two photos that convey two very different uh, kind of emotional states, right? So if I said, what do each of these pictures convey to you? What would you say? Okay. Yeah. Anything else? We've got sadness, happiness. Yeah, Eric, what do you think? Despair. Despair. Hmm? Okay, so some despair, some joy. Any other words that come to mind? That's pretty good, right? Yeah, the images convey pretty well what that person is experiencing and feeling. The second question I'm going to ask, and this is this one can be rhetorical unless somebody really wants to answer it, which here you never know. Um, which image do you identify with more this morning? All right, and why? Can you put a why to that. If somebody really wants to answer, we're going to hold this in mind because there's a real tension in Advent that we're going to talk about. This tension between this glimpse of the end that God gives us in tension with our present reality, right? And so we could easily be coming in here in very different places this morning. And so the question I kept asking myself over and over as I was like studying this text from today was, How can we, if we're feeling like the first guy, we're feeling a little head down, how can we lift up our heads when we're feeling head down? That's kind of the question that we'll keep in mind as we walk through this passage. So let's pray together. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us in the waiting, in the watching, in the hoping, the longing, in the sorrow, the singing, and rejoicing. Speak to us by your word in these Advent days and walk with us until the day you're coming. Amen. Amen. So we generally have this really linear view of time with one event coming after another. But the church's liturgical year is actually cyclical, right? With patterns of events that repeat themselves throughout the year. And so the cycle actually begins with the first Sunday of Advent, which is today. And so in this season, we're usually so eager to move forward quickly toward Christmas that Advent is like one of those things that's like in danger of becoming uh, extinct like our dinosaurs, right? And what we do and prefer to do, I think, is we kind of want to hermetically seal off anything that might be considered sad or unsettling uh, when it comes to the Christmas season. But the trouble with that is, of course, that life is just as difficult around the Christmas season as it is outside of it. As a matter of fact, like the more I think about it, it may actually be more difficult during holiday times. And this particular year is considerably more troubling than many in our past due to the fact that we're still walking through these multiple tragedies in our community, right? And so when we transition too quickly from Thanksgiving to Christmas, we're at risk of just blowing past one of Christianity's stranger but more treasured seasons, all right? So we want to spend some time in this tension, which we'll do over the next few weeks. 
There's two equally important parts of Advent. The first one is the one that everybody remembers. The first Advent of Jesus is the birth of Christ, Christ's first coming. The New Testament also promises a second Advent, a day when Jesus will return in power and in glory to make things right and rule as king. And that's where we are today. And so I was thinking about this. It's like Hallmark cards, they do a beautiful, cards do a beautiful job of conveying like the first Advent, right? Thousands of cards to choose from on Jesus's birth. You ever seen a second coming greeting card? (laughs) I'm going to show you one, all right? They're really difficult to find, but they're not impossible. Here's one. Okay. Like, that is the greatest card I've ever seen. Okay, so I purposely didn't crop out so you could see that it's a legit card. Five by seven over there, see that? Paper type, matte. Jesus coming in glory. That Oh, that is priceless. And I was going to try to encourage, if there's someone that would send this out as their Christmas card, the only thing you need to promise me is that you'll tell me about people's reactions to it so that I have, like ammunition for preaching, all right? Um, This is, I I love, absolutely love that. Uh, It's really, really fun. So this is the best I could do. Uh, There's two equally important parts of Advent, Christ's first and second coming. Um, And so we're going to be looking at Advent through the lens of Luke's gospel. And so when we would prefer calm and bright and cheery and peaceful, Luke is going to give us something that's a little more alarming, a little bit more unsettling. And so we're going to be dealing with apocalyptic literature, which is some of the most challenging to understand in the whole Bible. It's uh, extremely complicated. It can be a little bit obscure. Many Christians just prefer to skip over it in favor of like heartwarming stories of babies and angels singing. But we need to understand one thing about apocalyptic literature. And if you just, if we understand this really simple thing, then I think that this can make sense. What it's trying to do is reveal the end of the story before the story is over. It gives us a glimpse into something that is coming at another time. And so in other words, like if you think about apocalyptic literature like this, it's like a spoiler alert. Someone who ruins a movie for you and tells you the ending of the movie before you've gone to the movie, right? It gives us a peek into the end of the story before the story ends. And so the Advent season, it's full of hope. Not, And this is important to me. It's full of hope, not some utopian hope in human progress. That's not what we're talking about here. But rather a hope that knows the ending of the story. Really important. We know the ending of the story. And so we know that God has already drawn near in Jesus. We know that God is presently drawing near in Jesus. And we know that God will one day in Jesus come again. That's important to hold in mind as we read the text. Luke 21, 25 to 36. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away 
until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So be on your guard, so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. Told you it's a little unsettling, right? A little bit alarming. I found it to be so. And so Luke turns his attention Strangely, at the beginning of Advent, how this is set up for us, he turns his attention to the end times, to the second Advent or second coming of Jesus. And it's like, we talked about this a few weeks ago because it came up in our text a few weeks ago, coming into this season, is like the thing that everyone's uh, end time predictions they all have in common is that they're all wrong, right? We used, I think two weeks ago, we used the Stay Thirsty guy from Dos Equis uh, to help illustrate that and have a little bit of fun, but I just used it two weeks ago, so it didn't make as much sense to use it today. So Jesus is giving us, really, what he's trying to do is he's trying to give us a portrait of the present, not a calendar of end-time events, right? And so he picks up on some Old Testament apocalyptic imagery to help us catch a glimpse of the end time. He says there's going to be warnings, signs that the end is near, that his return is imminent, and the signs that he talks about, the world of nature, the sun, the moon, the stars, the sea, are all going to be out of whack, and there will be distress among the nations, widespread fear and a sense of hopelessness that will cover the people of the world. And it's like, ooh, there's some weight, some gravity to these words. It's like when I looked at them, there's two categories, right? You see nature and nations out of control. And it's like those of us in this community have experienced pretty recently some nature out of control, and it was a scary, it was a scary place to be. And what's the, one of the few things scarier than what we've just been through? Our nation's out of control, which we have plenty of that as well, right? And so apocalyptic literature can seem really strange. It can seem kind of off-putting. And Luke paints this really frightening picture that all is not well, that something is wrong. Although apocalyptic literature seems strange, don't these signs today seem real to us? Like, this was the weird part for me, is this Advent, these things seem more real to me today than they did in past years. Like, I didn't have to look very far to find some of these signs in our world and in our local community around us. And so we've experienced some of these things firsthand. Think about this, right? Unprecedented natural disasters. Storms unlike anything we've ever seen. Relations between nuclear powers deteriorating to a pretty precarious and delicate place. Like, when people are talking to me more recently, this is what I'm seeing. People are less hopeful about their future today than in the past. This is a personal observation from people and friends out in the community that want to sit down and talk to me about stuff that's going on in the world. They just seem less hopeful. And so sometimes there are probably some of us who came into this worship space feeling more head down than head up. Not everyone. When the creation and the nations are in distress, Christians would know 
that God was about to act. This is what Jesus seems to be saying. So it's like, of course, we're supposed to ask the question, like, so, you know, is Jesus going to return now? I don't know. You know, I think we're still, again, we're asking the wrong question. Uh, every generation of Christians has asked the same question. Every single generation of Christians since Christ has asked, oh, I wonder if we're the generation that Jesus comes back. There's a really good reason that every generation has asked that question. Because every generation has seen, like we have, every generation has seen nature and nations out of control. And so they naturally ask that question. But we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Predicting Christ's return has always been a great, just a giant adventure in missing Jesus' point, right? Jesus didn't even know when he was going to return. And so he paints this picture, though. He doesn't give us the timetable, but he paints a picture of what it would be like. And that's that greeting card, right? That's why we'll keep that greeting card image in mind. Jesus says, the Son of Man returned riding in the clouds in power and glory. Um, and Son of Man, really, people have a hard time understanding this to make it really easy. Uh, it's just a reference to himself. It's more of a description that he uses than a title. So don't think of it too much as a title. Think of it that... Jesus is picking up on these apocalyptic images and references from the book of Daniel. And he's describing this human figure that shares authority with God. And so he's showing this kind of pictorial imagery, he's telling it to people who would have understood it. And so as the world, this is, I think the fascinating stuff is as the world is shown in this text, shrinking back in fear and kind of succumbing to hopelessness, the disciples of Jesus are told to do something really specific. They're told to stand up and lift up their heads. This was the thing that really jumped out at me. Stand up and pick up your head. Jesus then moves on to a much friendlier, we'll come back to that in a second. He moves on to a lot friendlier metaphor, the budding fig tree, much more fun, much easier. It's like at the beginning of spring, the buds first appear, you know that a new season is coming. The leaves and the beautiful flowers are on their way. Uh, anybody love springtime in California? It's like one of the, maybe the only real season we have, you know? It's like, I like it especially because our landscape is all native California plants. So poppies just light up our backyard in the spring, which I absolutely love. Our yard is just like pure orange. And so the fig tree parable is this observation. It's a warning. It's a call to have eyes to see. It's really going to be the same warning as the previous. It's just a little easier for us to understand. We're supposed to have eyes to see. But it also reminds us that we need patience, that we need endurance, and that we need trust. To be able to endure winter in order to get to spring and summer. Right? We need to endure, Jesus is saying, the present hardships. We need to be able to endure the challenges, the suffering and the loss in order to get to justice and peace and salvation. And so the central promise of the fig tree is really a simple one. He just, he just comes out and says it. It's, it's the promise of the nearness of the kingdom of God. Right? And so too often we might get have a thought that the kingdom of God is something that's far away, that's distant. And what Jesus is saying is it's not some far away place, this undiscovered part of the universe. What he's saying is it's already broken into the present in Jesus. The kingdom of God is now, but not yet. It's arrived, but not yet complete. 
And so when we experience the distress of creation out of control, when we experience nations gone sideways, when we see the budding of the trees in spring, we know this is what Jesus seems to be wanting us to get. We know that the kingdom of God is near, not far away. And so Jesus seems to be saying that in the midst of the craziness and distress of this present life, that we are to stand up and lift up our heads And the language is because our redemption is coming. Like, this is what really got me thinking. I was so curious why Jesus asked us to stand up and lift up our heads. Like, why did he use that language? And then, as I thought about it more and more, it became a little bit clearer to me that as we stand up and we lift up our heads, we get a better view. We can see what's going on. We can see things that if our head were down, we we would miss. Things, in fact, we would miss if our heads were down. We can see when we stand up and lift up our heads. It made me think about a couple weeks ago. uh, I told Eric already, I warned him I was going to throw him under the bus with me. Uh, Sorry. When the Woolsey Fire made its way up the top of Boney Mountain in front of our house, uh, Eric rode his bike over for a better view. We were like on the front lines. And so we just, it was fun. We sat there and watched it. Um, our street was, was mayhem, like Channel 5 was recording when he rode up live. Um, there were like these concerned onlookers that were lining the streets and some like fire chasers, <laughs> which was pretty fun too. Um, and they were watching, they all wanted a better view of this fire that was, you know, growing dangerously close. But we wanted a better view than the one we had from my front door. But we had to wait until the sun went down because it was behind the mandatory evacuation line. So as soon as the sun went down and it was dark, we trekked up the top of the mountain in front of my house with no light so that we wouldn't get caught. Um, And we got up to the top and we watched and we could see the glow of the fire starting uh, to make its way up the canyon. And then like what, five, ten minutes of waiting, the uh, the fire came up over the top of the canyon. So these are the these were a couple of the pictures that I took. I wish it was a real, like a good camera because it was pretty awesome. Well, that's taken with an iPhone, so you can tell how big some of those flames are in the one in the middle and the one on the right. I mean, they're, and they're, they're pretty good. Um, but when you're in the dark and you're on top of the hill and you're not supposed to be there and you all of a sudden start using a camera that's like your phone that's lighting up, um, we drew the attention of the local authorities. <laughs> who drove down the street. They parked right in front of my house. They didn't know it was us, obviously. And they took their searchlight and tried to root us out because they're like, who are these idiots that are behind the mandatory evacuation line taking pictures of the fire? Oh, that was the two of us. Um, I think, Eric, I think you said something like... <laughs> Local teacher and pastor arrested. (laughs) We actually had to lay face down in the dirt for a couple minutes. (laughs) And then we snuck down and blended in with the crowd on the street. And it was all fine. Um, Now, the the truth is, we were perfectly safe, right? I mean, come on, Eric. Help me out here. All right. We were really safe. The wind was blowing the other direction. We were like at least a half a mile away. Um, we were in good shape. But the question is, why did we do it? It's really simple. We did it for one reason only. We wanted to get a better view, right? 
We wanted to get a better view than the one that we had on the street. And so in the midst of all life suffering, Christians are supposed to be on the lookout. On the lookout for, this is more my language than the scriptures, be on the lookout for that familiar face, right? For someone that we recognize, we're supposed to be on the lookout for Jesus, who has come, who is coming, and who will come again. So that's why Jesus asks us to stand up and lift up our heads so that we can catch a better view. Jesus says, keep watch and stay ready. And so the importance is, you know, not when these things will take place, but rather that Christian communities, Christian churches, Christian communities like Lightshine, Jesus seems to want us to have the right disposition in the present, difficult present circumstances. And so we live in the in-between time, in between the first and the second advent, uh, that Jesus is going to return to finish what was started and to fulfill all the promises of God. And so what does he want us to do? Our job is to be prepared and to live faithfully in between the advents. And so Luke creates this distance, right? This distance between our present day and this Uh, and the end days, this unknowable timetable for the culmination of history. And what it does, if you think about it, is it creates space for the mission of the church, right? We have no idea when this is going to take place, but Luke is creating this space for mission. And he's exhorting his church to remain faithful to mission, to stay focused. It's this call to keep our priorities in order. To not allow anything to derail us from God's mission, because when we lose focus on mission, we can easily be caught off guard. We can easily be found unprepared. And so as I've reflected on this, I've kind of come to the conclusion that, you know, in talking to other people and then looking at this passage, it's like, if you just take this, the grief of this passage appears that things, that nothing ever really changes. This is the hard part, I think, about this text. Things were scary in Jesus' day. Things are scary today. Every generation has seen evil win. Every generation has seen continued cycles of violence. Every generation has seen the human tyranny of these just brutal dictators. We've all experienced nature gone sideways. And it's like, for me, this is the hardest part because we want to see the kingdom come now, right? I do. Like, maybe not in the ultimate sense, Right? I'm happy. I like life. It's good. Um, But don't we all want to see evil get the beat down? Like, are we just tired of some of the stuff that we're going through? Right? Don't we want, all of us, light to illuminate darkness? It's just something that comes with the Advent season. And yet we wonder and ask, we have to ask a really difficult question because I've heard people have been asking this question to me. Where is God when things seem hopelessly stuck in this endless cycle? This is a real question. Like, this is where it gets real, you know? Where is God when we just feel head down, when we feel like we're in this cycle, endless cycle of violence and other? And it's like, and then we listen to Jesus' words. He says, he doesn't want us to get weighed down by excessive worry, you know? And then he says, also, get weighed down by, what, what was the word in the scripture? Dissipation. You know what that word means? It's like debauchery, drunkenness, whatever, however you want. Because there's a simple reason. We're less prepared, right? 
Our head will be down, for sure, with those things. Unprepared for two things. Unprepared for Christ's mission today, and unprepared for his return tomorrow. I don't mean tomorrow, literally, by the way. Um, But, you know, without hope, doesn't this make sense? Like, without hope, I would understand why someone gets consumed by worry. I get why hopelessness can turn into self-medicating. Like, these things make sense. But Jesus says that people of faith wait. He says that we wait expectantly. That we wait for God to fulfill the promise of our redemption drawing near in Jesus. We stand up. We lift up our heads because Jesus has already come, is coming in the present, and will come again in the future. So pay attention to the promise of God's presence with you on this journey toward Christmas, even in the midst of chaos, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of loss, in the midst of hardship. I think this is what we're supposed to do. Pay attention for God's presence with you. And where, the other thing to think about, which is, I'm just going to say something different that I wasn't planning on saying. We could talk about this. I probably should have. Uh, where is God when all these things are happening? What is the church called? The body of Christ. Where is God? God is with us when we are out there in the community. And that's something that's really, really important to think about, that we could have gone in that direction easily. And so as I reflected on Advent, to me, when I think about that cycle, that seemingly endless cycle, and I think of Advent, what Advent does for me is it gives me hope for the future because I understand that it's not human tyrants who sit on the throne of the kingdom of God. I already know the ending of the story. This is what apocalyptic literature is supposed to do for us. I already know that Jesus returns in power and glory to right wrongs, to administer justice, to usher in a reign of peace. And so Jesus calls us to faithful living in the present. So we can choose to live on mission. We can try to resist despair. We can place our expectant longing securely on the promises of God instead of succumbing to self-medication and excessive worry. There's a palpable tension that we all feel between our present reality and God's vision for the future. We all feel and experience this tension. And I think this is why our Advent texts, it's like I use the example of Eric and I walking up a high mountain to get a better view. That's exactly what I think our Advent texts do for us. They walk us up a mountain peak where we have a better view. A view maybe like we've never seen before, a view of something out there that's coming, but that's already broken into our world in the present. And so the scripture says our redemption is coming. To be redeemed just means to be bought back or delivered. And I wish we had more time. It's like it's Christ's liberating act, which comes to each of us where we are today. Depending on the challenges that each of us are facing, Jesus comes to us. So stand up. Lift your head up. Stay alert. Stay on mission. Be on the lookout for that familiar face of Jesus who is near and drawing near. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for the season of Advent. 
which prepares us for your birth at Christmas and for your eventual return. God, as we watch and we wait, guide us through this important season and help 